Hello, listeners, and welcome to Woman Inherits the Earth, our mother-daughter film discussion podcast. You are listening to the second part of our two-parter episode on The Woman King. I'm your host, Tessa Dare, and my co-host is Beth Von Baron. If you're somehow listening to this without having heard part one, I recommend that you go back and listen to that episode first. And of course, if you haven't seen The Woman King, I recommend that you watch that before listening to either episode. This is a spoiler-filled podcast. We left off last week with the discussion of Naniska and Nawe discovering their relationship to each other, and Naniska rising to defeat the man who attacked her when she was young. And with that out of the way, let's get started. notes and then maybe have a, a brief discussion on Malik because I have some things I want to say about him but before we get to that I just have a couple of moments that I wanted to point out from the movie that I sort of saw as pulling these kind of inversion moments the first was uh, about 43 minutes in we cut to the port of Wida which is where we first see the white people and part I mean part of the inversion here is obviously in American cinema we're used to white people dominating the screen but the the bigger inversion is and I, I I don't remember if I noticed this the first time around, but I really noticed it this time. The people of Dahomey speak English on screen, and then the white people speak Portuguese, and it gets translated. And I feel like it's such a long-standing trope in American film that anyone who's European just speaks English on screen. Even if it's supposed to be set in France, you'll see them speaking English on screen. But then whenever a character of color shows up from a different country they don't speak English on screen and they get the the subtitles. And it's just this very subtle but persistent way of othering people of color. And in this film, it's reversed. It's the Europeans. It's reversed, yeah. Yeah, it's the yeah. Europeans who get the subtitles and the people of Dahomey speak English. Now, obviously, you know, well, you can make some kind that's of... That's a logistical thing. I yeah. mean, I mean, how would, extent, the whole yeah. film would have to be yeah. in, in whatever language it is they speak, True. which we never but find out. They could have chosen to have the... Portuguese characters show up and just be speaking English. They could have made that yeah. decision, but the first thing that they do is speak Portuguese and have the subtitles underneath. And I, I mm. feel like that was a choice. They they wanted to mm -hmm. reverse that that othering moment. The next one I think came right after this um, when Oba Ade is talking to Santo. Santo is trying to explain some bit of like European politics to him. And Oba Ade's response is your tribal warfare is none of my concern. I, I don't, I don't think I noticed that line the first time I watched it, but, but this time I was like, that's hilarious. <laughs> I love that. Like, and, 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 you know, Santo does sort of respond your tribal welfare, same, yeah, your tribal <laughs> warfare, your European tribal warfare is none of my concern. I was like, that's such Even a though... great, subtle moment that's what this whole film is about but okay and, but that's also like kind of how we in the west tend to dismiss any kind of interpolitical thing between any african nations any like middle eastern nations we sort of refer to it as tribal warfare as a way of dismissing it and i love that they have oba ade do that to the european guy I, and and it's, it's so moment. disrespectful. He's yes. being so disrespectful to the guy. And we don't get to see that in a lot of films with, mm -hmm. with black and white men. It's usually the, the, the black men who have to be subserviently mm -hmm. respectful. And yeah. here's a guy, you got to, and, and I, I respect about, that about him.
about him, mm-hmm. about the character. I don't respect anything else. But, <laughs> yeah. but the fact that he can speak up to these white men and say, that's none of my concern. And it's like, I just mm-hmm. say, fuck you. Mm-hmm. I don't care. Yeah. That, that's, a, that's a great, yeah. yeah. And I feel I like, like that. that's also kind of reflected in the way the two characters die because Santo mm-hmm. kind of gets this disrespectful, like almost last minute death. He gets like drowned in the ocean by a group of men. But meanwhile, Oba Ade gets one final big epic fight with the woman mm. he brutalized and she gets to kill him. But it's still kind mm-hmm. of like his death is still almost like a little bit more respectful than Santo's death because he's yes. a little bit more of a full person. He's a Santo warrior. Is. He gets yeah. a warrior's death. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And Santo's just a piece of shit. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And then my he gets what he deserves. Yes, he gets what he deserves. He gets what he deserves, and he gets it in the middle of his doubling down. Like literally, what's happening is he tries to take some of the people from the beach to still sell them. Like he's trying to recoup his mm. losses in the middle of this huge battle happening at the port of Wida, and it backfires on him because, of course, it does. Because also his and, and it, his it, mixed race friend that he's been treating terribly this whole time finally realizes that he needs to help. Well, and it, it's it's stupid on his part too because yeah. it shows that he had no sense of survival. Oh yeah, there's a there's there's a whole revolution going on here, buddy, mm-hmm. and you're worried about taking six men as as slaves. Yeah, get the fuck out of there yeah. and preserve your ass and come back to fight another day. Yeah, and he doesn't do that. It's like he literally could have just gotten in the boat himself and taken off, but he has to taken off and he would have lived like six mm-hmm. men to sell them. And it's like, dude, this whole thing is happening because these people will not be slaves anymore. And you're like. I got to grab my slaves, though. Yeah. (laughs) Greed will out. I mean. (laughs) And then the final little moment of inversion that I wanted to talk about, which is actually my favorite, is the scene where Nawi and Malik actually meet. So it's such, it's a common scene in movies where we'll have, like, the beautiful woman character take her clothes off by the stream and start bathing. And then the men come Mm -hmm. upon her and gaze at her and don't let her know that they're invading her privacy. And it's supposed to be beautiful. And this scene is like the opposite of that. It's Malik who's naked. Nawi comes upon him and steals his clothes. <laughs> and still beautiful though. Malik still, is still beautiful. beautiful. Oh yeah, he's gorgeous. <laughs> they, they they hired an uh, attractive man. Uh, what his name is Jordan, I think. Yeah, Jordan Bolger. Gorgeous, clearly very athletic and naked. And literally, like our first shot of him while they're interacting is he has to like cover his his junk as it were (laughs) because she's (laughs) stolen his clothes and it's it's just a fun inversion because normally that scene is the other way normally it's the woman who's Mm -hmm. naked and the man who's comparatively protected it's this kind of scene that puts the person who's naked at a disadvantage and she's she's turning the tables and putting him at a disadvantage because she's a warrior Mm -hmm. and she knows that he could overpower her well not her because she heard him first she was in the stream and she heard him and went and hid yeah and then that's right that's Right. So she's yeah. more adapted than he is, basically. She kind of mm-hmm. outskilled him and got the drop on him. She's smart. She and Inisco are definitely the two smartest people in the movie. Yeah. So. Uh, and then, I don't know, did, did you want to make a couple of notes? I wanted to talk a little bit more about Malik as a character, but... I'll, I'll end with my Malik comment, but just a couple of things. I, you know, there are some comments that some of the characters make that I think are, are just great writing. When... When Nanisco, when Nanisco, I always want to say Nabisco because that's, that's that's what keeps coming up. When Nanisco realizes that now he's her child, she you know she cuts into her skin and finds it, and Amenza says no, the god the gods are not that cruel, 
and about uh, Naui being her baby and coming back. And I might wrote down, yes, they fucking are. Yep. The, you know, the, the, the couple of scenes between Naui and, and uh, Naniska that are heartbreaking and loving and just the emotional tugging at your heart in this film. And when she tells... When she tells Naomi the story, Naomi can't take it. She just, it's too much. She leaves. And that's when, she, is that when she goes to see Malik, I think? Or, I'm, I'm not sure, but she leaves. Oh, uh, she, she had she had just seen Malik. Yeah, when when she first tells her, okay. yeah, they're in the bath. Okay. Oh, yeah, I did have a note about that. I think the first two times that Nawe and Naniska speak on their own, they're in that bath. And it just occurred mm-hmm. to me as we were talking, like the sort of English major in me is like, well, baths like that are often kind of representative of the womb. It's sort of like they're meeting in the primary oh, womb. Yeah, yeah. They're both dressed. You know, they it's it's a, it's a place where they can bathe but also relax. I, I'm assuming it's warm water. Yes. So anyway, when she at some point uh, she sees her and she says, this is after everything has gone down. And she's, now he says to her, a man who gave you so much pain. I, I am sorry. I had to pause the movie at that point because I was crying. Yeah. Um, she apologized to, her, apologized to her mother for this gang rape that, you know, she, without it, she wouldn't exist. But but that doesn't occur to her. She just knows that it caused her so much pain. I don't know if it's that scene or if it's a second scene, but she's offering, making an offering to to Azogi. And we need to talk about Azogi's death. Yeah, too, we should talk about we'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. yeah, so but the, but at, at the end she's making an offering for Izogi, uh, and Naniska basically tells her that she is loved and wanted, and now he says she is sorry a second time and runs away. So she's still not ready, not ready to accept her. But then at the end, when there's celebration going and she's had some time to adjust, and she's feeling a little bit better about everything, she goes to her mother and says, "Mother." Will you dance? Yeah. Okay, now I'm gonna cry. Yep, same. Um, she embraces her. I know, <laughs> and and I wonder at that point they she embraces her so strongly for such a long moment that I'm wondering if they will ever tell anyone other than Amenza. But anyway, I think they can't really because the yeah like, they can't because they yeah they it's against children. the rules yeah because yeah. my the first time I saw it I thought. Did Nally have sex with Malik? Is she going to end up repeating the story and having a baby and she's going to have to hide it or they will have to change the rules? But when I saw it the second time, I said, eh, no. And that didn't happen because that's not in keeping with the themes of the movie. So it would not, it's not a good idea to have it happen. And also, even though she is uh, wrapped in a blanket when he comes to her room there at the end, I think that's just the way she sleeps. Yeah. She sleeps naked. Yeah. And even if they had, like, Hollywood loves to pretend, like, every single time you have sex, you immediately get pregnant. But, like, even right. if they did have sex, she probably wouldn't actually immediately get pregnant. Yeah. So, uh, just for a brief second, let's talk about Azogi's death. Yes. Um, it's what, one of the turning points in the, in the movie. It's a smaller one. Azogi is kind of our, our main comic relief character until that point. I mean, she's also a serious she's, character. She's also the heart. She's, yes. she's the heart and soul of the movie. She, yeah, she's, I mean, she's, she's not the star. <laughs> She's my favorite character. Yeah. She's not the star, but she is funny and also wise. Yes. She's 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 wise and she is an advisor to so many of these women because she understands she understands people really well. She understands strategy. She understands what to say in the moment to make people understand. 
And so when when she and she she fully expects to become the Magana at some point. And she's really she, skilled. She, so you she she's really skilled. She would have. She's yeah, very it's strong. Likely if she had not died, she would have. Yeah. She's the only one I think who comes across as maybe slightly lesbian. I mean that she gets kind of has that vibe sometimes. A little bit. But you know, in, in a butch sense. Yeah. But but even that is just so fleeting that you know it curses you for a second and then it goes away because there's no sexuality in these women yeah. i mean it's not that it's not there it's not that it's suppressed it's just it's not a component of who they are at focus, this point yeah. in their lives yeah, yeah. so it, it it's just it's they're very they're not uh unsexual they are aware of sex they, they maybe they're asexual i'm not even sure that's a good way to put it. it it's just not part of their lives it's just not there i mean I they have willingly given it up yeah they've willingly given it up and you know they live in a, a time where it's not like any woman was really allowed to embrace her sexuality right they're they're more removed from it than some women but you know they also understand that giving in to their sexuality in this society would be tantamount to giving up their power and they yes want to keep exactly power. and statistically speaking some of them are bound to be lesbian so True. you know it's 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 but it doesn't even enter the filmmaker's yeah. brain to, to introduce that because they're I mean, just there's, not there's so much going on in that film i don't know how they could have also yeah, <laughs> but but you know but but hollywood tends to introduce sex no matter yes. where yeah. so or no matter what's going on and they did but this is a film made by women and they weren't motivated in that way so when it goes when azogi dies she has a very long death and it had to have been a very painful one and i mean she is truly a warrior she survives so much well and right before that scene they broke her arm so badly that the bone was sticking out and she has nawe push it back into place that that to me is yes. the most physically difficult scene to watch i i couldn't watch the second time when i knew it was actually the first time i think i knew you could tell what's going to happen yeah it's like it's displaced um what is it called when you displace it from the joint I think that's what she's doing. She's pushing the joint back in. And well, then... I, no, I think it's literally the bone. She's pushing the two bones together because it's it's in the okay. middle of her arm and you can see the like the bump go down. It doesn't give her the, it doesn't unbreak the arm, no. but it does make it so that she can hold it in a way that they won't notice yes. that it's broken. Yeah. And, and so she has a little bit of functioning. She's not, and, and, and once the, the immediate pain subsides, she's not in as much pain as she was in, and so she can fight. I think this is also why it's important that we showed her earlier being able to withstand so much pain in the trial yes. with the man. Because yes. you, you kind of get the impression that, like, maybe anyone else would not have been able to pretend like their arm was no. not broken. But she's Mm-mm. got that pain tolerance. And she, so she so, goes through this and she lives the, for um, at least 24 hours with this pain, mm-hmm. then dies by gunshot. Specifically because she went back for Nawi. Because they, they yes. make an escape attempt and Izogi is almost out of there. But Nawi got held up and Izogi turns back and won't leave And now he says, don't, don't come back, go. Because now I understand she would rather be a slave than have Azogi die. And Azogi decides she would rather die than have Naui become a slave. And she comes back to save her, doesn't get to do it because she's shot before she can get to her. It, It says a lot about sacrifice and the whole notion of how useful is power if the people you love are in danger. Yeah. So, you know, she could have lived, she could have left, she could have lived, gone on to become the, the Maganan, but she realizes she can't do that because she loves Naui. So she sacrifices herself, and it is 
gut-wrenching. Yeah, absolutely heartbreaking. Hardest part of the movie to get through. It really was. It was the hardest part of the movie. I just, since we haven't said it, Izogi is played by uh, an actress named Lashana Lynch, who also plays Maria Rambo in Captain Marvel. I did not know that. Yeah, Captain Marvel's like best friend. Uh, unfortunately, Marvel like killed her off off screen, but she is in that, that movie. That I kind of do remember. Okay. Yeah, I'm yeah. still mad. I'm still really mad. <laughs> and, and she is also briefly in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Mad because there's an alternate reality where she became Captain Marvel, which I think is also a thing okay. that they played with in the comics. But yeah, I just want to mention okay. Lashana Lynch, well, great that's actor, great. great performance. I, everyone in this movie is fantastic. And, and and the other thing about the acting is uh, Viola Davis. My God, yeah. that woman. I also wanted to mention in the, when in the scene where uh, Mother will you will you dance? Um, they then do go dance, and Viola Davis can cut a rug. She is going for it. I, and, and it's very short. It's like maybe five seconds of her dancing, and they cut to another scene. I'm like, no, 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 no. Yeah, come back. I want to watch her dance some more. Yeah. <laughs> I want to learn this. I want to learn this movement she's got going on here. It's just really, she's just such an amazing actress. Everything she does. And you know what? It makes me want to go back and watch that television show she was in for a couple of years that I couldn't watch because I just thought it was just kind of how soap opera How to Get uh, Away With Murder. murder. How to Get Away with Murder, yeah. and and I thought, oh man, I may have to go back and watch that. Yeah. It's probably the only thing of hers that I haven't haven't seen. She is, and you know the thing is, she's ugly in this. This character is is is. She's got her hair pulled back. It's taut. She's got you know she's fierce. She's got this fierce look on. She never looks beautiful in this role, except that she you know you know she's beautiful. And I and there's except there's one scene where she lets her hair yeah, down. Yeah, the final scene. And yeah. It, and and it's she's and, and she's, she's and I guess she's, maybe she has makeup on or she's taken the the war paint off or something. But you realize, oh my God, she's beautiful. Yeah. But she has made herself ugly in this film. And what actress is willing to do that? Well, uh, what's your name? Not Scarlett Johansson. The Charlize uh, Theron. Charlize Theron. She gained yeah. weight and made herself ugly for the movie that I have still not seen because it's so violent. I'm not yeah. joking. Monster. What's an, I don't remember. Monster. Yeah. yeah. I, but I, but now I think I maybe I should see it. But yeah, so, so uh, Viola Davis is my my queen. I just love her so much. Yeah, she's she is fantastic. Um, okay, before we wrap up, I had kind of one final point that I wanted to make about Malik. It's also a little bit about Gezu. Malik and Gezu both kind of, I, I feel like, are this movie's representatives of of the like sort of middle of the road liberal mindset that you know they're they're opposed to the worst aspects of culture and they clearly have this ability to reason things out but they're still attached to some of these ideas i mean gezo in particular it, he he's definitely a really interesting character one of the notes that i wrote down for him was when when nawe finishes first in the final competition he beckons her to come over and like praises her beauty and says, if she was not so skilled, I would have made her a wife by now. Mm. Which he thinks is, is, is honor. It's an yeah, honor. Yeah, and that's so. like, it just it just really made me think. I was like, wow, that's such, it's, it's such a good, it's such a well-written line because it's such a good way to show how a well-meaning man so often, even though he's well-intentioned, it's like the only thing he can think of to praise a woman on is her looks. And it's like, she just won this incredible competition that showed off her incredible skill. And he does say that she's skilled, but it's like, he can't help but kind of sexualize her in this moment. And it's like, even though he's clearly this, a, a pretty like progressive king for the time, he's still a part of him is in this mindset. Yeah. But I also like that they have that happen. And yet Nawe almost doesn't even notice it because she doesn't care if he likes her. She's only got eyes for Naniska. 
She only wants Danisca's approval. Yes. So I love that they were able to represent that, but also that that doesn't like take away from Nawe's accomplishment because she doesn't care what the king thinks. She doesn't care about him. She only wants Danisca's approval. So I just thought that was great. But it's also this example of this kind of character who means well, but is not, is sometimes misguided. And I feel like Malik is the other, is kind of the, the more extreme example of that because he's mixed race. He's His father was white. His mother was Dahomey and she was enslaved. So to me, the implication of that is his father raped his mother. Oh yeah. That, it's that, not that an is, implication. It's yeah, real. That, that is what happened. He, he owned her. He yeah. owned her. He may have loved her, mm-hmm. but he owned her and, and had a child with her. And, you know, like, the truth uh, about, you know, mixed-race children and slavery is that most of them were just continued to be put into slavery. So, for whatever yeah. reason, Malik wasn't. Malik himself is not enslaved. Could be the only child he had. So yeah, that's, exactly. That's could be my only, take on it. Yeah. yeah, he could be the only son that his father has. Uh, he is also mm-hmm. very light-skinned, um, so that mm-hmm. could have to do with it. They did a very careful job with skin tone in this movie, because he's mm-hmm. visibly light-skinned compared to all of the other characters. Right. But he he also kind of represents like you can he wanted to come to Dahomey to see his mother's people, but he also came with a slaver, and he's kind of unwilling to stand up to Santo at any point. Santo repeatedly kind of knocks him down, doesn't really treat him well, but also like you know forces him to get in line, and he actually has a moment. I can't remember exactly what he says. I thought I wrote it down, but there's just there's this moment where he basically knocks Malik back down by essentially telling him that he's he's lucky that he himself is not enslaved and so he needs to get in line uh and that even that moment is not quite enough for Malik for Malik the true turning point for him literally is just his feelings for Nawe it's just his feelings for her and seeing her attempt at escape and seeing her almost about to be sold it's it's almost like obviously he's he's affected when he first sees the people in chains who are about to be sold but it's not enough to make him fight back it's an evolving consciousness for him each each thing that happens gets him a little bit closer there seeing what nawi is willing to sacrifice mm-hmm. for these principles yeah. is is the final straw again his like his very final he he also he's he has a line where he's talking to her and he says my mother was a slave that is all i ever knew of african people i never dreamed that we were kings and warriors so it is very mm-hmm. clear that him coming to dahomey and I also thought that that line was kind of beautiful on, in a lot of ways because obviously most people in his position don't get to go to Dahomey. You know, most people, most people who were born into slavery or born to slave enslaved parents, that is all that they know of. If their, they're second generation, like, they don't yeah, know. That's and, all and, know. And that's true of heritage. Americans. Americans today don't understand that uh, African culture that we raided and raped was full of, you know, these kinds of of cultural environments, you know, where there were kings and there were warriors and and there were, you know, whole whole communities and cultures that we destroyed by removing the people who live there. So, yeah, it's... It's kind of, um, I would also say that the two men you're talking about, Malik and Gezu, they, they don't question norms. They don't yes, question, exactly, exactly. They're, they're very traditional men mm-hmm. and their their life is comfortable. So why should they, why should they question it? Exactly. Men, historically, you know, for millennia maybe, it, it's it's the unusual man who questions his privilege. Yeah, yeah. And the unusual white man, I should yeah. say, yeah. Who, who questions his privilege and, and, and 
black men too. Yeah. I mean, because they still have privilege in many situations over women. So yeah. I, I think it's unusual. And, and, and it's becoming less so, which is a good thing. But for the most part, I mean, you know, there's a whole story of, of John Adams and his and his wife. That's it? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. His, sure. he, she's his equal, his intellectual equal. And she, I think it's the, is it the Adamses? I have the wrong couple. But anyway, that, that historic couple, when she tells him, you have got to put women in the Constitution. It's not the Constitution, it's the Declaration. I'm getting the whole story wrong here, but you know what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> I should have, if I would know we were going to be talking about this, I would have refreshed my memory by looking it up. But I think it's the Adamses. And, and, and she tells him, you know, he, and he banishes her to the bedroom or to somewhere. Out in the, he won't talk to her mm-hmm. for a very long time because she says, no, women, women have to, should be allowed to vote women you know we we run the households she says and you you think i'm different that i'm just i'm super special or i'm super smart but i'm not all the women i know are like me yeah. we are not stupid and now i'm gonna have to look this up and see if it's betsy adams and and but i think it is so yeah it, it it's it's a standard thing that men have always accepted until very recently and many men still do that women are women are not as smart they're not as strong they're not as capable and i feel like in malik's case it's kind of particularly poignant because he is himself half dahomey but he's still kind of accepting this european hegemony until a, a series of events kind of forces him to wake up. It's both the, his connection with Nawe, seeing what she goes through, seeing that she's almost killed or sold. And then that final moment on the beach, he escapes to the beach and encounters Santo again. And Santo, you know, they're, they're going to, to the boat to get away. And Santo turns back and takes these men who are tied to a post on the beach and cuts them free from the post and drags them to the boat. And you just sort of see on Malik's face, he's finally presented with this moment where all he has to do to fight back against Santo and slavery in this moment is just help those men just a little bit. Because there's like six of them and one of Santo. And so he mm-hmm. finally does it. He finally he, he cuts just, them yeah, free, cuts them loose, and yeah. and watches as they kill Santo. He doesn't really he doesn't help them kill Santo, but he lets it happen. He yeah he he's trying to prevent them from killing him too. I think he's yelling his name. He wants to save him, but he realizes he can't because these men he, are frenzied and and they are out for blood. Yeah, and and, and he let them go. I think because it was it was like in this moment he, he let them go. He can't. Yes. He can't be a party to it anymore and yeah so it's Mm -mm. like it's not a fully active thing but it's like he's finally gone through enough that he can no longer prop up the system through sheer passivity so he does literally he just cuts them loose (laughs) that's that's his one big moment yeah i just thought that was a really well done point it's like he does sort of grow but it takes so much and he was so much one of the people who was most in a position to see the truth because he is half black half slave too his mother was a slave his mother was a slave and it's like it but it took all of that for him to see the truth it was it was quite a path for him to walk and at the end he's still feeling guilty about it because he has to let his friend die for him you know, for him to make this leap. So, yeah, yeah. and that's, that's, and they, and they were friends since childhood. Although, although you, whenever he says that, he said it, a, says it a couple of times and it makes me think, yeah, so he was the child of a slave. He was your slave friend, wasn't he? Yeah, probably. <laughs> but I, I yeah, yeah, but presumably at some point Malik was raised up because, you know, yeah, he, he was he freed is, or something. I mean, Santo is mean to him, but does ultimately treat him as kind of an equal. He almost treats him like you're my, my poor friend. <laughs> like, but uh, Malik comes from a wealthy family. I mean, his yes. father's 
got wealth or business. So he has to treat him that way. I don't yeah. think he has any choice about it. But yeah. Okay. So. All right. So at the end uh, of our discussion here, we are going to talk about our hottest takes. They can be our most controversial or provocative opinions or maybe just our weirdest opinions. So <laughs> what is your hottest take on this movie? <laughs> So I actually, I have this memory from childhood of reading, you know, I went to Lutheran school of reading, reading the Bible, reading the Old Testament and, and reading about eunuchs. As I grew up, got older, I had always assumed a eunuch was a man who had been castrated. That's the way it was presented to us. But it actually may not have been. Uh, and the reason I looked it up is because the, there's a character in here. And I just looked on IMDb and I don't see a name for him. It, I think he's just the eunuch. He is an assistant to the king. And at the very beginning of the movie, they talk about the only people, the only men allowed behind the walls where the women live are eunuchs. Yeah. And so the, the, the concept is often been that harems were the, the people guarding the harems were eunuchs because they had no sexual desire for women but the implication and and they might have even been stated in the bible that they were castrated but but some religious uh, scholars believe that they were not castrated castrated they were just gay so you know it's tra- uh, the cast uh, eunuch is often translated as a minister, a state, a chamberlain, or even an officer, sometimes military. But they were in Jesus' time, it meant an unmarried man. And in the book of Matthew, Jesus says, For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth. And there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the realm of God. Let anyone accept this who can. That, that's the people's justification for Jesus accepting homosexuality. So I would make the case that eunuchs were gay men, and, yeah. and the cast, castration uh, was a concept then that, we, that was differently understood than we understand it today when you castrate somebody today and you know it's been done to hurt people to hurt men you know and and they've called eunuchs after that but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's the only use of it so and the reason this all came up is the character is so clearly gay yeah. he is talking and he's you know he's doing his arms and his hands uh yeah. and very feminine you know and classically yeah. how gay men are classically portrayed on film you know as being kind of a, a feminine yeah yeah he almost looks like he's about to start voguing yeah <laughs> I, I I was thinking uh, this guy be- belongs on on the drag race. So I mean, you know, on, on the drag shows. That that's who yeah. he, he he's, he's very he's got a he's got robes on and he's yeah. got a little bit of makeup and he's got yeah, jewelry. He's, he's, he kind of visually looks more like the wives than like anyone else. He's he's kind of done up the way they are. Except he's bald. He's completely yeah. bald. Yul Brenner is what is another yeah, totally. you know look that came to mind. But yeah, so that's what made me think about it. And so I wonder the filmmakers what they were going for here because. I don't think uh, castrating a man, making him become a quote-unquote eunuch, makes him become gay. Yeah. And this this character is clearly being portrayed as somebody who is gay. I just thought it was an interesting thing, and it got me into a, a rabbit hole of investigation in yeah. terms of the word eunuch. So that's my only thing. That is interesting. Um, okay, my hottest take on this movie is that I think it is the best historical epic I have ever seen. And Mm. regardless of whether this is factually true, to me, it feels like the most historically accurate historical I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that might be a controversial take for some people, but I don't know. I feel like I had to watch a lot of historical epics in high school. And the older I got, the more I realized how inaccurate so many of them were. 
They're very uh, male focused. They're, they're very, very male, male focused. Focus. They often tend to gloss over the more unsavory parts of our history. And I feel like this movie is not really doing that. I mean, to an extent it is because I, I did look up a little bit of the history of Dahomey. And one of the things that is not happening in this film because it didn't happen until much later on is Dahomey was eventually taken over by the French and kind of ceased to be its own kingdom obviously it's not a country anymore it's it's in west africa i'm not exactly sure where it would uh map on to a modern day map i know that they were very near the Igbo people which are a people who are now in nigeria so it's it's in that general area but yeah so like part of the history that it's glossing over is the fact that dahomey was eventually essentially destroyed by europe um and also that uh it is true that king gezu was a person and he did attempt to eventually or actually actually i think it was actually his successor who tried to move away from the slave trade and into the palm oil trade which unfortunately is a decision that was later reversed and they got back into the slave trade because the palm oil trade turned out to not be very lucrative and then it didn't matter anyway because eventually the french came in and invaded so we are alighting some of the real history but i feel like this was a much more holistically realistic representation of the slave trade than we have often gotten in these historical epics where a lot of the time we don't look at the actual trade part of the slave trade we just sort of write about how white people joined the underground railroad and helped people get away from slavery yeah. and who was doing the slavery oh let's not talk about that you know mm-hmm. so yeah, yeah but you, you just took the hopeful ending of this movie and stuck a, <laughs> stuck a big sword through it for me sorry <laughs> But hey, Nawe lived to the 1970s. Okay. <laughs> the real person of Nawe was alive in the 1970s. And actually, a number of the Agogie after Dahomey was destroyed did attempt to live uh, regular lives. And some of them apparently went into hiding with the actual Dahomey king. Well, here's the thing. Did you investigate whether or not these were the source for the story of the Amazons? Because They're is... not. And the the story of the Amazons way predates um, okay. the Agogia. Yeah. However, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Okay. when the Europeans found out about the Agogia, they referred to them as the Dahomey Amazons. Okay. The Amazons were like more than a thousand years earlier. Uh, the Agogia okay. began in like the 1600s. I did research a little bit of their origin. We're not actually totally sure what the origin is. There are some competing theories. Uh, the the primarily accepted theory is just that Dahomey was in a, a number of battles and basically suffered a lot of male losses and they basically lost mm. a lot of their male population and that kind of paved the way for women to start fighting. There's also a story that this king, I'm not going to be able to pronounce his name, but there was this king who supposedly started the the kind of predecessor of the Agogier as elephant hunters. He start he uh, banded together a group of female elephant hunters, and then his daughter, Queen Hongbei, supposedly recruited some of them to be her personal guard. And then her successor, her younger brother, used some of the personal guard successfully in battle against another tribe. And that's so that's one of the stories for how the Agogia came to be. A lot of that is down to oral history. And so mm. there there is some conflicting accounts. But yeah, that that is supposedly I, I will say, as you were as you were talking, it occurred to me that one of the good things about the movie is they don't spend a lot of time focused on the training. I really thought they were going to put a lot more time into that. I thought, oh, I don't know how much of this I can I can take. As you know, we see military movies all the time with men as the focus and 
we put so much time into the training and it's mm-hmm. like nobody wants to see this they did it right yeah they did they a did little right bit of training yeah. and they let them you know time is passing we know that they're training but we don't have to see it on screen yeah. so it's it's a really well-made film i i think it's pa- pacing is really good yeah. there there's there's some fight there's enough violence to let you know there's enough gory violence to let you know that these people are serious this is a serious situation but not so much that you stop watching you know it's not it's not overwhelming there's just there's so many stories so many people so much great character development which you know a lot of times in in films with this many with an ensemble cast like this that's that's hard to do it's tough and they they did it they did a really good job of it and it's beautifully filmed even the the war scenes cut back and forth a lot the battle scenes are really hard to film too and they do they do a really nice job with that so photography's good the writing's good the character uh, the character development is really good. The themes are great. Can't recommend this film a lot. And it is not a Marvel superhero film, which yes. is what I think a lot of people thought. Yes. Uh, actually, I, I wasn't going to see the movie. And uh, one of the novelists that I follow on Facebook, Steve Erickson, said wrote about it and said, I wasn't going to see the movie yeah. either. I thought it was a Marvel stupid you know, superhero thing and then he said but it's really good go see it so i went and saw it and all y'all listeners out there if you haven't seen it you need to go see it it's really good yeah i definitely recommend it i did also want to say final note the amazons are not based on the agogia but the dora milage are so if you what is that 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 is uh, in black panther his female guard oh yeah they are based at least in part on the agogia well and you mentioned black panther i think the second black panther movie came out about the same time as this and that was a big part of the confusion about what kind what this movie was visually the agogia kind of have a similar color palette to the dora milage so i think there was some visual confusion i also when i first saw the trailer i was like wait is this a Black Panther movie? Yeah, exactly. But then, yeah, but then I watched it again. I was like, it's definitely not a Black Panther movie. Well, um, and I'd be interested in knowing if they took away from each other's sales. If if more people went to see the Black I, Panther movie than went I don't to see think, the... I don't think they were actually in theaters at the same time. I, the, I okay. think The Woman King came out first, and then the second Black Panther movie came out uh, a couple months later. Which I have not yet seen. So um, that's... But that's, I, um, that... it, it did say on their Wikipedia page that the the success of Black Panther is part of how this movie was able to be funded, basically. The, okay. the success of there Black you Panther go. kind of paved the way for... Because, you know, like... The the old white men who control Hollywood, uh, they don't want to make anything unless they think it'll make money, and they only think it'll make money if something similar enough to it made money before. Well, and, they... and clearly the Irish film ministry felt the yes. same because they fought. <laughs> yes. But yeah. And certainly if it's going to be a movie about black women, they're going to be extremely resistant to it. But fortunately, Black Panther was like the biggest movie ever, so. <laughs> yeah, Black Panther was a great movie. But yeah, this is a movie full of women. Yeah. Full of black women. There are no mm-hmm. white women in this movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you want me to watch it? It's written by a white woman. But yeah, it's great. I It's just uh, one of my favorite films ever. And I don't typically like militaristic yeah. kinds of movies. But this one, Yeah, I would great. say it's also one of my favorite films. And I don't typically like historical epics. Yeah. Although, I don't know. Ben-Hur I really loved. But uh, other than that, you know, battles and... and well, that's biblical history, I guess. But raised in a different era. So I, I don't have... 
I, I don't hate those kind of movies like you do, but I'm just tired. Of I get them. what you're I'm, saying. I'm just tired of them because I've seen so many of them. I've I've seen Ben Hur. I, I've seen Gladiator. I've seen Spartacus. I've seen so many of these movies, but this one is don't actually don't, don't you be talking about Spartacus now. That's I'm not a saying great they're movie. bad. Okay, I'm just saying I've already seen them, and I don't need to see fifty more. But this movie is actually different, and it's telling a, a slightly different story. Let's can we keep the historical epics and get rid of the gangster movies? Would that be a fair deal? Okay. So I think that'll that'll wrap up our That wraps it up. All right. I'm Tessa Dare. You can find me at my website, tessadare.com. That's T-E-S-S-A-D-A-I-R.com, where you can sign up for my email list. Or you can follow me on Instagram at author.tess.adare. I and I am Beth Von Baron. You can follow me on Instagram at STL underscore writer underscore Beth. Or sign up for my weekly Substack email, Saturday Morning Musings at stlwriterbeth.substack.com. This has been Woman Inherits the Earth, a mother-daughter movie-watching podcast. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed it, and we'll tune in for our next episode in two weeks. See you then.